0: Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Obsessed Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to throw us a review and a rating on iTunes and tell a friend. Enjoy the show. What's going on? This is Evan Stewart back with another episode of Obsessed where we bring certainty to your uncertainty, eliminate living in the gap of ambiguity, and teach you how to build a life that you can be obsessed about. My guest today is the Scale and Culture Authority, a hard-hitting, action-oriented entrepreneur with a successful track record of growing and scaling companies for hundreds of millions of dollars. Author of distinct business books and resources, such as Scale with Speed, Mastering reoccurring revenue and attack and conquer, he is on a mission to help entrepreneurs, business owners, CEOs, and executives experience transformational growth, gain financial freedom, and have fun along the way. I am excited and delighted to introduce the renowned Judge Graham. Wow. What an (laughs) intro. Thanks, man. I'm excited to be on. Absolutely, brother. I am too. I am too. And so I know our audience is mixed. There's probably a good amount of people that know who you are. And then there's always people that haven't heard of you yet. So your quick little spiel into you've got a successful track record, building, scaling, growing businesses. You've also have a successful track record of just fundamentally helping entrepreneurs with the resources you put out, the coaching you put out. But dive into that for a second. Like who are you and what exactly are you doing Nowadays with your uh, scale and culture authority as you call yourself.
1: Yeah, totally. So, uh, through an entrepreneur, I've mm-hmm. been doing selling things since I was a little boy, whether it was pencils mm-hmm. to papers, to cell phones, to door-to-door security systems, whatever it is. So I love through it. and through, um, always have had a fascination with the psychology of selling mm-hmm. and making money. Mm-hmm. And so my background is, is somewhat a humble background, mm-hmm. great parents, hardworking parents, yep. Um, middle-class, so wasn't really given anything, but Mm -hmm. was provided tons of love and, and, uh, you know, the ability to understand what it takes to work. Mm. My parents uh, both always had two to three jobs. Okay. So I grew up in an environment that just um, bred hard work, Mm. right? And Mm so um, fundamentally, I think that that just seeped into the DNA of who I am today. Mm -hmm. And so I took that... um, love of persuasion and selling and then the passion of understanding um, what it takes to win through hard work mm. and then I applied that to business mm. and so everything I do and, and you mentioned I've I've grow, I've, I've failed right yes. I've, I've failed companies but then I've won um, at really high levels mm-hmm. you know and by doing that um, the one thing I can take away is you know nothing's easy yes it takes a ton of hard work yes ton of passion and a ton of dedication yes. and being willing to accept failure, mm-hmm. but it's how you recover from that.
0: Mm, that's good. You know, I, uh, we just, the NFL draft just happened. Yes. <laughs> and I, I did a post on that and it's such a special night for me because
1: mm-hmm. uh, I was played college football, mm-hmm. love football. Mm-hmm. So it's an important for me in, in that regard, but it's this culmination of what people don't see. Mm-hmm. These young men yes. from you know, as, as little as probably six to seven years old, mm-hmm. the work that they've put in, mm-hmm. the discipline, the training, the failure, the blood, mm-hmm. the sweat, the tears, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then it's that moment, right? But yes. that night, the only thing that people see is that moment, Yes. but it would be great to see the behind because mm-hmm. I promise you those young men have lost yes. much more yes. than they have won and they have committed to, to the success of the,
0: the trade or their sport mm-hmm. that got over there. Mm, that's good. And I think, actually, you've touched on I mean, immediately a couple of things that I think are important. You mentioned the word obedience, and I think that's extremely important mm-hmm. because I know that a lot of people are excited and they're passionate about something, but, and they can go for a minute, but it's the obedience of when you're hit again and again and again, mm-hmm. year after year after year. Most businesses fail for three years. You know this. I don't believe because they have a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the execution could be a little shaky, but isn't everybody's execution shaky totally. when they start? I think it's the obedience and the diligence to know that you will get back up, right? I don't believe in failure. I believe in feedback. Okay, well that didn't work. Right? How do we change it moving forward? And so, as you've kind of gone through your own successes and failures, both you know at their relative high level, you know when you succeed at a high level. You have to have failure at a high level as well. You know, talk about to the entrepreneur that's listening on the other side. Maybe somebody is going through their own struggle right now. Maybe they lost that big client or they're in a situation where they're having trouble breaking through that other ceiling. What did you really recognize the first couple of times you failed at a really high level? What were some of the takeaways that you got internally and, and professionally on how you should adjust moving forward I think
1: the, the stakes just get higher. Mm-hmm. And when the stakes get higher, the thing I learned, and that's the reason I wrote that book, Scale with Speed, mm-hmm. you have to be freaking urgent. Mm-hmm. You have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. The uh, When you start to fail at that level, mm-hmm. there's too much at stake. There's too much risk. Yes. And you have to be decisive in that moment mm-hmm. as a leader mm-hmm. to change your behavior, to change the mindset, mm-hmm. and to quickly gather and assess The data points you need Mm. in order to make your next move. Mm, That's good. And I find that entrepreneurs at that next level, when they fail, they retreat. And when you start to retreat at that level for a day, for hours, the the stakes are too high. Mm -hmm. There's too many moving parts. Yes. And so I learned that as I progress, you know, I talk about successes through failures. Yes. So as I failed along the way. As I kept failing forward mm-hmm. and winning at bigger levels mm-hmm. that's when I understood how important being decisive is mm-hmm. how important speed is yes. because when you fail at a you know let's just use a under a million dollar revenue company with sure. three employees yep. there's not a lot of stake there mm-hmm. there's not a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. but then when you grow a little bit more and you're yes. failing at a 50 million dollar level yes the stakes are higher and the, the, the operation is bigger and mm-hmm. it's moving faster. Yes. And so you have to
0: be decisive. Well, and I love that decisiveness because when I was early, early, early into my business career, I had trouble being decisive because I had that perfectionistic mentality of, yeah. well, things need to, to look good and they need to feel good. You know, everything needs to work properly. But in reality, that's contrary to business growth. And so in order to combat that, the number one principle I have now in my, well, my business and my life is commit first, figure it out later. It's in the commitment. I know that I can figure it out, but I'm not going to know what to work with until I'm actually there. And I think decisiveness is, is huge because you have a lot of people that want things to be done well. I just want them to be in motion Mm. and then I can figure it out from there. And I think that's something that I was drawn to as I was engaging with your content and what you put out there is the the decisiveness and urgency regardless of where you're at as well and i think i've done a lot of entrepreneurial consulting as well you know a lot of business owners are playing in that like 850 to 3 million dollar mark as far as small businesses in america you know you've got just a little bit of of, you know maybe 12 to 20 employees things are running things are good life is good Mm -hmm. but what i noticed and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this is the systems that you started with usually can get you to about there and then after about a million and a half things start breaking Mm -hmm. and there's this big enigma of oh crap what do I do now right my systems are starting to break I don't know where to go from there and so with the person that is failing maybe they're working in decisiveness and they're pushing forward but they're still living in that gap of ambiguity as I call it, which is a feedback loop of actions that's not actually producing results. Right. What would you tell that business owner that's going through that failure, they're still being decisive, they're making decisions, they're, they're, they've they're got the grit to push right. through, but now they're just like, what the hell do I do now? You know, Kill your processes.
1: Mm. So mm, the the process, what happens, you mentioned 850000 mm-hmm. to 3000000 million. Mm-hmm. You're starting to make a little bit of money. Yep. You're feeling good. Yep. You've hired people. Mm-hmm. Okay? and let me be clear, I'm all about culture and people Mm -hmm. and growth cultures. People are are fundamentally key to success. You don't have a company unless you have people. Mm. Okay, You're a solopreneur, you can make a great living, but if you want to freaking grow a monster company, you need people. You can't do it alone. Okay, But the problem is, is that entrepreneur, if they haven't sought out counsel Mm. mentorship not advice freaking counsel yes counsel is someone that has a knowledge or skill set that they've earned it's a degree it's an attorney it's it's someone Mm -hmm. that has a trait that you don't have Mm -hmm. and or is someone that is as uh, more successful Mm -hmm. than you are that's seeking out someone to give you counsel not advice exactly what happens to those entrepreneurs when i get into businesses is they're getting advice They're getting advice from us and all well intended advice, uh, an employee, a spouse, a brother-in-law, you should be doing it this way, you should change this or whatever. And what happens is they start to build these processes Mm -hmm. based on advice Mm -hmm. or, hey, well, now we're at this level, we should have a process for that. Mm -hmm. And what happens is it freaking slows down mm-hmm. everything. You start right? to bog up the pipeline. It becomes yeah. minutia and then you mm-hmm. forget about the customer. Mm-hmm. You get so caught up internally with your own bullshit. I talk about it like executives sit around at the table and they pontificate yeah. for hours. Yeah. Right. And they talk I this I say they talk to themselves. Mm-hmm. But you lose sight of the customer. What does the customer want? Mm-hmm. If
0: if you you should not do a process unless it's going to make more revenue yes it's going to speed
1: things up yes or it's going to make it better for your people yes if it doesn't do those three mm-hmm. don't do the process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you get you get mired in that minutia mm-hmm. and then you get so caught up in internal non-revenue generating activities yes and you create new processes that actually prohibit mm-hmm. revenue mm-hmm. and then you start to fall back there's mm-hmm. so many companies that get to 3 million mm-hmm. and they fall back to $2 million. Yep, to $1 million. Million. Yep. And it's because they don't get the joke. Mm-hmm. They don't mm-hmm. understand. You need to make a decision. You need to cut processes. Mm-hmm. When I walk into a business, I want to cut 50%
0: of the processes mm-hmm. to start. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I think you actually touched on a couple of different things, which is that those systems, that mindset, should not change regardless of your income bracket. Yeah, you know, I have a belief. I was actually talking to, to one of my coaching clients this morning. Regardless of where you're at, I believe you need to focus on three things. New opportunities, new money, and new people. Totally. And especially if you're transitioning from solopreneur or self-employed to actually entrepreneur to where you've got a business. You know, if you're self-employed, everybody says, well, this is my business. No, right. you happen to be employed of yourself. Because Absolutely. if you walk away, you know, you take yeah. that two-week vacation, everything goes to shit because you're not spending your time actually working in company. That's not a bit, that's a jail cell that has CEO attached to it, right? But I believe that new opportunities for one on what can I foster right now that will provide future opportunities, maybe not revenue generating opportunities, it could be things like marketing opportunities, strategic partnerships, revenue for sure, new people, especially if you're transitioning from solarpreneur to entrepreneur, right. I believe you have two types of clients, so to speak, internal client, how am I going to serve my employees and yeah. the external client, the actual people that are buying and selling your product yeah. or service. Yeah. And then new money, just the, the logistics of <laughs> what can I do today that drives more revenue than to tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And if you do nothing else, in my opinion, but just focus the majority of your time on these three things, Correct. you'll keep that type of efficiency. Yeah. And I think, and you probably see this as well. It's so simple, it's often overlooked. When you're scaling companies, it's just, if you wanna know what your customer's thinking, ask. Right? Yeah. Or when you get to $3 million a year, yeah. half a million of that shouldn't be your salary. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'm actually taking home less now yeah. as my company scaled the 20s and 30s millions yeah. than I did when I was, you sure. know, eight to 12 million. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I'm actually literally taking home less yeah. now because okay. that's feeding the beast. You know, yeah. everybody thinks, oh, well, I hit this $3 million mark. It's time to buy a Rolls Royce. The hell it is, right? right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think
1: it's, so my version of that is called the Money Sheet. Mm, That's right. So we've got some over there. So the Money Sheet is, it's not a journal. It's a freaking revenue machine. Mm -hmm. So what are the six to eight activities you're going to do that day Mm -hmm. that are going to generate revenue, Mm -hmm. okay? And against, what is the monthly goal? Mm -hmm. So literally, it's a sheet of paper. Mm It's in a binder, and it says, okay, my monthly target is X. Mm -hmm. Where am I pacing today Mm -hmm. against that target? And what are the six to eight things I have to do today Mm -hmm. to generate revenue? And one of those things could be you need to make 50 phone calls because you know 50 phone calls turns into, you know, two... Prospects, mm-hmm. right? You need to write four proposals, whatever it is. Yep. People don't want to focus on revenue generating activities. Mm. They just don't. Well, they're hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. But so you know, fundamentally, I completely agree. What are you doing to focus on revenue? Mm-hmm. What are you doing to serve your people? Mm-hmm. But to me, serving your people is creating a growth culture. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I talk about this concept: where is my money? W I M M. That's right. Where is my money? Yes. Okay. So that concept needs to be instilled in these mm-hmm. people, right? So if your people aren't motivated by success mm-hmm. and they're not motivated to do better for the client, mm-hmm. you're susceptible of not having a great company. Mm-hmm. But if they're motivated to come in and they understand if they're servicing that account, mm-hmm. if they're building a great product, that mm-hmm. their success will be tied to the client's success. Mm-hmm. And That's the good. client's success is gonna be tied to the company's success that they're working for because you're doing a good job. It's this 360 right. of where is my money? But it's a
0: mindset, it's a behavior, it's actions you have to take daily in order to be successful. Mm, that's good, and I have some thoughts on that. I'd like to kind of unpack that a little bit as well sure. because I think nowadays, especially as it's becoming more popular, as the mindset shifts from just money, money, money to okay, let's actually take care of the people that are yeah. taking, care of us, uh, taking care of us. Everybody talks about culture. Everybody's talking about culture, right. but I think one of the things that you do well is you actually define it. Mm. Because to say, "Oh, well, you need to have a good culture." Well, I do have a good well, yes. exactly. Maybe it's me, or you know, right. maybe you can. There's a ping pong table in the record, but right, well, right. that's culture. Well, that's yeah. bullshit. Actually, yeah. that's not totally. real culture. When I'm thinking about my culture, one thing that I I started to recognize was if this was not a business, if we were just a group of individuals in a forward momentum, who would stay for how long and why? Right. And then the business, the, the income being the reward to it. But as far as developing the culture, I'm, I'm a big believer that that starts from the top bottom. Sure. That's one of the things that maybe not a lot of people think about because they're so in the grind of I need to earn, I need to earn, I need to earn. Mm. And then it's easy to scale to a five, 10, $15 million business and have no culture worth Actually, you know, right. no tangibility there. So yeah. when you talk about as you get into companies, you look at the culture, you start to build out an environment that people feel inspired, motivated, and fascinated to come and work in. What are some of the things that you look for and maybe some of the things that you implement in order to ensure that there's longevity in that part of the business? Yeah,
1: when you said it, it starts at the top. So also the owners and understand what kind of culture do you want, mm. right? Are we here to grow a monster company? Is, is revenue, is this capitalist mentality is that what you want the DNA to be, mm. right? What do you, is, it, is it a customer-first culture? Like, So you have to define and commit to what kind of culture you want. Mm. Okay, so a lot of people talk about culture, but they don't define. Culture is it's a fucking broad word, yeah. right? So what 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 kind of culture do you want? Mm. So you you frame that up, and you've got to get the, the, the leadership to commit mm-hmm. to that. I mean, they have to be bought in sooner than the Kool-Aid. Mm. And then um, culture is organic in its own. Mm. right you Perfect. have to you have to start and, and, and lay the framework but then you have to, to, to live it every day mm. and one of the ways that, that I've implemented in and in allowed cultures to thrive is I do it around four core values okay and it's the company's core I think you can't have more than four mm-hmm. a lot of people say it has to be these four mm-hmm. to me it's it's the company's core that we decide as an executive team, And get you know somewhat buy-in from the broader group, Mm -hmm. but what are those four characteristics, Mm -hmm. right? You just were in my uh, in my house right now in the money lab. That's right. You saw Hulk in my fund. That's right. Right. That's right. So one of my previous companies, Hulk represented fearless, which is a core value. Mm -hmm. Okay. But this is where the psychology of core values become interesting. Mm-hmm. When you frame these core values up, you have to empower your people mm-hmm. to fail and win against these core values. Yes. Okay, so a fearless to you means um, it, it's okay to go make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It's okay to push past the bounds mm-hmm. and, and potentially screw up on, a, for, on an account or whatever, mm-hmm. be, as long as you're trying to, to become better. Yes. Okay, so that's what it means to the employee. Mm. But what does fearless mean to the customer? Mm. When you work with us, we're doing things to push the bounds mm. to give you the best product because our freaking competition is scared yep. to do that. Yeah. So when you get these core values, these four core values, mm-hmm. aligned around what it means internally to your people, mm. but more importantly, what it means to the customers externally, Yes. and you instill these are behaviors and habits, mm. Gotta get to that level. Mm. What does fearless mean? Mm. You gotta do this. You behave this way, you're empowered to do this. Yep. And then you empower an organization around those core four mm. to where it's the intern to the CEO, and they can call you out in a freaking conference room meeting. Mm. Hey, Judge, you know what? You're not being fearless today. Yep. Right? That's and that's okay. That becomes a mentality, it's okay. Then you have to visually bring that to life. Mm. Right? So I had a 14 foot hulk when you walked in yes. to my organization. And like, holy shit, what is this? <laughs> and it had the word fearless and it had what it meant. Mm-hmm. Now I can tell a story mm-hmm. to potential employees, to potential prospects. Mm-hmm. And my whole environment, you'd wrap a wall with fearless or strategic, and it'd be vinyl with the scene, and it becomes a storytelling element mm-hmm. that inspires people mm-hmm. and visually reminds them of what they need to do, how they need to behave, but yeah. more importantly, what the, why the customer should work
0: with them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, well, and this an additional accountability on both ends as well, because you want to be building a company, I mean, you want as many customers as possible, but I think that you would potentially agree, I wanna be working with people who are a aligned, 100%. exactly, and so 98% of my businesses right now are done by referral, and part of that is due to the fact that there's such a deep alignment in myself and my, in the services and the products that we provide and the customers right. we're working with, that they can't help but tell their friends because life right. attracts like, and they're gonna bring other people. Totally. I'm a big believer in providing unique, uncommon, positive experiences, creating our own culture against principles like that, internally yeah. and externally, but then also creating an, a, a movement would be the wrong word, but right. just a connection where you can interplay between your company's more than just a place to go and buy and sell products and services. It's actually this own living, breathing organism. And I think another thing that, that you talk to about culture, which is why I believe it's so important, is you've got to have something to win or lose by totally. internally. Like if you're doing a really crappy job as an employee, I got to say, Judge. What what culture what principle here do you feel like you're violating? Right. Or if I'm getting on to you as the CEO, maybe you're, you continually know one of mine is is always take responsibility, right? Yeah. So okay. and, and another one might be be solutions driven. Okay? okay, so you, you're telling the customer, oh, we can't do that for you. Well, you're not being solutions driven. Love it. So I think that's huge because what a lot of people will do is they'll have their personality and that's culture, right. but then in reality, if you don't have a judgment on win or lose that your internal employee is working against, right. then they're at some point going to believe that their income and their ability to move forward in the company is directly related to your emotional state that day. Yeah. And that's instability as well. And I'm sure yeah. you've probably seen that too. So as we're kind of going down that rabbit hole a little bit and then we'll move on to a couple of other things, there's also a lot of talk, maybe ambiguity around principles and core values. Yeah. What? Where do you stand on that play of, I know some companies have one, the other, some companies right. have both. Uh, I know, I mean, Google has like 13 <laughs> uh, yeah. and they're changing. What are your thoughts on principles versus core values in the implementation of them in your organization? What's going on? Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Obsessed Podcast. If you haven't yet heard, I'm proud to announce the Obsessed Conference, a life-changing event hosting world-renowned speakers with the mission of helping you build a life you can be obsessed about get up close and personal with nine figure earners thought leaders and amazing people of quality in a unique way unduplicated at any other event you hear me talk a lot about taking action this is your opportunity to stop thinking about a better life and start crafting one this event may be life changing but your life won't change if you don't show up head over to obsessedconference.com to reserve your spot at this year's event and tag hashtag obsessed conference with the screenshot of your ticket for an opportunity to win a special gift at the event. Can't wait to see you there. Now, back to the show.
1: Anybody listening to this, if you want to be a successful company, you need two things as relates to culture. Mm-hmm. One, you need to be niche. Okay. And two, you have to be authentic. And I'm going to tie that back to principles and core values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you want a great company, you have to have great people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you're a master of nothing, yeah, okay, and I use this, it's a funny example I use all the time. So if you're an insurance agent, okay, you sell everything, yeah, you're swimming with sharks, yeah. okay, be a freaking horse insurance agent, yeah. okay, there's enough market share mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. to be phenomenal. At it. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? When you become niche, mm-hmm. who you are, what you do, why you do it becomes crystal clear, mm-hmm. your content becomes market leader, authoritative content because all your case studies all your proof points all your testimonials become around horse insurance right okay if you want the best people in the world guess what the best people in the world want clarity and want to work in a niche. Yes. Okay. So now you're the authority. Guess what? All the best people that service and sell horse insurance, mm-hmm. you're the fucking company. Yep. Okay. So that's niche. If you want a great company, growth culture, you got to have a niche. Love that. Second, you have to be authoritative, mm. right? And authentic. And what I mean by that is that's where the core values and the principles come in. Mm. To me, principles are kind of bullshit. Yeah. Core values is, is to me the same thing to right. some extent. Right. Right. But this is where um, you have to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if your niche is horse insurance, your core values become the uh, the DNA, the culture, the attitude, the mm-hmm. swagger mm-hmm. of your company. Yes. Okay, so if you're fearless and you're direct and you're fast, mm-hmm. and that's who you should be, the minute you're not that. Mm-hmm. You fucking lose. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's people that are listening to this that probably don't like me. I'm way too direct, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But but that's okay, right? I want to work with people that get the joke because I know I can help them if they resonate with me, right? So back mm-hmm. to that question: once you become niche, mm-hmm. you can become an authority for market leader content. You have great people, and then when you marry those principles core values together, yep. and you become authentic. who you really
0: are Mm -hmm. and you deliver against that niche it becomes freaking magical Mm, that's huge and actually that's a perfect segue into what I was also going to go into which is niches because I think so many businesses try and be jacks of all trades. And look, yeah. you know, my my big claim to fame before my other businesses is real estate. Mm-hmm. That really was it. And when I first started, you know, everybody knows a real estate agent right. and real estate agents always do everything. I don't care where you are, I'm gonna do it. Right. right? right, right. And that's how I that's how I started. Was I, I mean, I would drive to Denton, I would drive to Fire Mountain, I would drive to Fullworth, I'd drive to I didn't care if there was a house, yeah, right. I could sell it. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you're competing with every single other agent in oh, the market, and then all of a sudden it was, you know what, I'm referral basis, so I'll go somewhere if it's referral basis, but other than that, my specialty is unique, luxury, ultra-luxury homes and new development, that's it, oh. right? So you look at a real estate agent, like there's if there's one agent, in your neighborhood, I work in this half mile radius and that's it. like I know some agents that just work three neighborhoods and they'll pop off nine figure businesses because they're so deep in that market. I think that it's also coming from the confidence and the comfort to know that the niche always outplays and outlasts the long run because there's more sustainability there. And so as you're going into your business, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, there's a recognition point. maybe I'm too broad, which I think a lot of people recognize. How would you recommend kind of taking a step back in your business and then finding a niche through where you're already spending time, energy and resources sure. and then redeveloping because maybe there's a business owner, and you've probably seen this too on your consulting where they say, but judge, I've already got a $12 million business and it's not a niche. Mm-hmm. Like why screw up a good thing? You know, right. what are your thought processes if they're in that tension between what they're good at and what they really should be doing? Yeah, so I, the way I look at it, and I apologize to the audience to keep coughing these Texas
1: allergies. As part <laughs> started living in Texas, bro. So um, you know, if you're a twelve million dollar company, okay. I get it. It's tough to you know take away. But you know, go back go back to this. My first business failed because I wasn't niche. Mm. So I started out my first business in college, web design and development. Okay. Grew it, it was a great business. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the uh, two reasons it failed wasn't niche and the other, I didn't have recurring revenue. It was project-based. Mm-hmm. But started out web design development, mm-hmm. right? You needed a great website, I'm the guy, right? And then I honed that in a little bit and said, okay, it's across these verticals. Mm-hmm. But then what started happening, Evan, is as that business grew. Mm-hmm. They go, wow, you're really good at, at, at web design and development. Can you do a logo? Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's more money. Great, yeah, we'll do a logo. Yeah. Hey, well, can you do PR? Yeah, we'll do PR. And what happens is, is I don't have those skill sets. Yeah. So I've got to go hire full-time employees against that. I've got to create new processes mm-hmm. to slow my business down. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to recruit people that aren't the best yes. because I'm spread thin and, and, and they're half-assed at what that trade is, mm-hmm. right? So I get if Somebody's built a business and they're there, mm-hmm. right? But you have to understand when you become that niche, all those things I talked about go away, yeah. right? And the opportunity is much bigger, right? I think as entrepreneurs, we struggle so much to say, wow, if I just did that, there's not enough market share. Yes. I promise you, whatever the market is, yes. if you got one-tenth of 1% yes. of that sub-sub-sub-sub-set, yes. you're going to be successful. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And so I think it's a mindset that you have to psychologically get on board with that. Yes. The other thing you should do that it fascinates me that, that companies don't do, you should know the competition better than you know it.
0: Yes. Right. Thank you. So yes, go <laughs> in,
1: SWOT analysis, understand where the, that may self select that you go into. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're broad based now and you're constantly going up against these four competitors, mm-hmm. um, what is the one thing you do mm-hmm. that they don't do well or yes. that their customers are upset with mm-hmm. and start there? Right. Right. Because you already have a revenue center for that. Mm-hmm. You're seeing vulnerability out in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Start surrounding that make it a focus yes right start to grow that part of the PL. yes and as it starts to take off you can win off the
0: other businesses mm-hmm. well and the caveat to that is so many businesses And you've probably heard this too judge i'm going to focus on me screw what they're doing and i think that's bullshit because yeah. your customer is going to shop you 100%. you need to shop you yeah you need to know where you stand and where you fail in relation to your competition yeah. i think that's huge and so many people will use that excuse when i think really that stems from a fear of what if we recognize we're not as good. I don't even want that recognition in my business. I don't even want to touch it because I would rather just live in the dark for as long as I can instead of all of a sudden having this immediate recognition like what I thought worked doesn't work. Like my big thing is I want to build systems and then I want to break them immediately. Like if I'm not breaking my systems at least once a year, something's wrong. I'm not growing fast enough. Something's really, really wrong. And I think that whole niches concept is huge because... The other thought on niches is, you know, you hear a lot of people, why screw up a good thing? Well, the good thing can be good, but if it stays good, it means it will never be great, right? right and that niche know. gets you from good to great. And, yeah. uh, you know, after we were talking about music before, I've got a lot of friends that do music. I got one friend makes a killing, like multiple seven figures a year. You know what his specialty is? 15-second music videos for social media. That's it. Boom. 30 seconds, doesn't do it. A minute, doesn't do it. whole yeah. song, doesn't do it. Now, he'll do his own side projects right. business, I know, right. 15 second increments. Yeah. And I'll pop and he pops up right. all day long. Yeah. And he makes literally millions of dollars right. just on these little tiny little logos. And so I think that the people who are thinking that a niche is too small really are not thinking deep enough or wide enough right. within that niche. It's, it's, it takes time to brainstorm, to be creative, to find opportunity. But if you're looking at your business and you don't recognize, you can't immediately recognize like the one thing that you're a specialty right. at means your customer can't be there. Totally. And that automatically means that by definition, you're commoditizing your professional strengths regardless of how good you think you do your job. And so going going into that a little bit further, I mean, we've talked a lot about niches and culture and important implementations in the business. One thing I do want to touch on because our market here in Dallas, but also the listeners to this podcast, there are a lot of self-employed people. Mm -hmm. And so individuals who maybe they've got insistent, maybe they're in a a self-employed business like insurance or agency or some some type of fashion and they've got one or two people underneath them they're in this transition state of things are going well. How do I expand? Right. And one of the big questions I hear a lot is I'm self-employed and I want to take it from point A of employment myself to point B, which is actually growing a business. Right. What are some of the steps that you would recommend or that you've thought of in that process of, how you can go from being really good at what you do to actually growing sustainability in the business. And I've got some thoughts that I'll get to after sure. you, you give yours. I think the first part is, is you've got to freaking
1: commit. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about um, commit and burn the ships. It's in, it's in um, scale with speed. Mm-hmm. It's almost in, it's something I, you know, it's in my propaganda. Everything I do, Absolutely. you've got to commit, right? So I love the, the uh, analogy of burning the ships, mm-hmm. right? So you're freaking on an island. Sure. You came over in a ship. Yep you turn around and you pour gasoline on the boat and you fucking light the match. Yep. Okay, You are committed now to the island. Mm-hmm. I deal with so many entrepreneurs or solopreneurs mm-hmm. in that case, and they're like, man, you know what, this is either a side hustle or I'm making great money, and yeah. you know, I don't want to go to that next level, right? And as long as they have that comfort mm-hmm. of always just putting their the toe little- on the yeah. island yeah. and the rest of their body on the ship, mm-hmm. they're never going to make that leap. Mm-hmm. So... What my biggest piece of advice is, you have to do something that forces you to commit to go to that next level. Mm. Okay, so um, to run up credit card debt. Now this sounds crazy. Go get that employee, mm-hmm. right? Because now it's fucking real. Yep, you, you have to pay them, right? Yeah. You have to. Like, pay you them. Gotta, make sure sure that. You've <laughs> gotta make it work, right? Go get that lease space. Mm-hmm. The, the, the only reason you, know, you haven't done it is because you feel like you got to go get an office. Yep. Go get the office. Yep. So you need to do something tangible mm-hmm. and psychological to commit mm-hmm. to go to that next step mm-hmm. or you're never going to do it. Absolutely. I think it's like living in that oh shit
0: factor. which yeah. is every day you wake up and go, oh shit, like I need yeah. to make it happen today or else my life is falling apart. Totally. And it's that, I mean, that, like, we can be real. We've both been there. I think, I mean, I as you scale, it kind of enters in different ways too later down the road. But, that's a terrifying place to be, 100%. especially when you've got people relying on you. God forbid, you've got kids in, in the yeah. household. You've got, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, you talk about things scaling. Well, right. all of a sudden it's its that comfort of, well, what happens if right. my wife isn't on board? You know, I know one of the things that I did when I started entering that as I started transitioning in my own life, my own businesses was I sat down with my wife and I just said, look, like, here's the realities. You know, you're a logical yeah. person, I'm a logical person. We can get excited about the right. end of the day here's the black and white. Totally. If we win, like life is going to be so good. Yeah. And if we lose, right. it's going to be really hard yeah, yeah, yeah. for a while. Right. And, and one of the biggest affirmations in my life is when and said, oh, let's do it. Yeah. Like shit, like we can go to a crappy apartment. Like we yeah. can, we can do that, you That's know? Awesome. And then it's the confidence of knowing that, okay, my wife's on board. I've got the support I need. I have the confidence right. knowing that, all else fails, it's on me. And sometimes yeah. when it's on you, you know, like, you know, your kids, like their dinner's on the line, we'll make it work. Yeah. And I think it's that motivation of whether it's an office space or whether it's some type of financial commitment to get you kind of fired up. But then the other thing is the thought of, I have two thoughts, the thought of failure. What if I fail the people closest to me? And that's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. So that's right. the first one. But then the other one is the other definition of failure would be what if I, due to my lack of work now, they don't get the opportunities that they pay to Mm -hmm. And that's even worse because at least if you're in that shitty apartment and you know, kids can see, like they grow up and they can't take advantage of their opportunities. They can't, you know, I want to go and cure cancer and go to MIT. Well, I can't help you with that. You know, all of a sudden that is even worse. Like I'm terrified of that future. And so I think to the entrepreneur, to the individual, the executive listening to this, yes, the commitment of putting yourself in a situation where you have to make it work, but then also, you need to live in the tension and the discomfort of the memory of what happens if everything yeah. everything goes exactly as it is now and no new opportunities are provided to people closest to you. Yeah, that motivates me. More than anything. Yeah, listen, we uh, I, I talk about this when I speak a lot.
1: Um, from the day you are born to the day you die, you're lucky if you get thirty thousand sunsets. Yeah, think about that, true. right? I'm forty, mm-hmm. so let's say I have 15,000 left, Yeah. right? Yeah. Or maybe hopefully a little bit more. Okay? Sure, sure, sure. That's a fucking motivator, yeah. right? But going back to how do you commit? And I can tell through a story. One, you gotta have a, a, a tribe. I talk about tribes all the time. Right? My wife is my fucking rock, mm-hmm. okay? So you wanna talk about commitment. Um, My first company failed, mm-hmm. personal bankruptcy, mm-hmm. right? Cause we're tied to debt. My wife uh, has a new baby, mm-hmm. we're just, recently married, mm. uh, got another baby on the way, mm. got a mortgage, mm. got a car payments, and I'm fucking broke, yep. okay? Yep. We sat down together, the ship, I didn't have, the ship was burned, right. yeah. and then we committed together, and-, and I had no other path before, mm-hmm. right? And most people would go in the corner and fucking cry, yep. that was my rally to go. Mm-hmm. So I don't want it to be extreme like that for everybody, mm-hmm. but until you get that level, of commitment right and support right. right so if you're listening you have a partner in this with you they need to be on board yes. your family needs to be on board you have to block out mm-hmm. any negative any friends mm-hmm. that are questioning you or not supportive yeah, of them, you gotta cut that shit right now they're not friends No, right no. this is a different game mm-hmm. right look at their life if they're doing the eight to five whatever and that's not what you want
0: then if you surround yourself with that that's what you're going to become Mm. absolutely absolutely and i think you know you also touched on something which i believe is a big unspoken in entrepreneurship and i want to bring it to light which is that real success often comes from dark places because i have so much on the line that nothing else nothing else is an option yeah right no one's going to protect your house except for you like you and your wife like that's it no, not your employees, not your CFO. No one is going to protect your house right. except for you. And it comes from that grit of, like you said, like chips are burned. I think that's a really big motivator. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge motivator. It's, huge. When, yeah. when it's, it's the only motivator. When you have that memory of like, thank God I moved past it. Never want to go there again. Yeah. But I never forget. Yeah. I never forget what it's like. I mean, my story was this is before we were married my wife and i had only we've been together six years this month and two years married in october and so before we were actually married it was when i was struggling to make an 800 dollars a month apartment payment
1: yeah you know yeah. and i remember i, I talked about
0: this a lot like when i was in, uh, getting getting started me and a friend we had to go to the store and split pb and j like you yeah. bought the loaf of bread i bought the peanut butter and jelly so we could eat for a week you know yeah. just like crap like that like, I'll be damned if my kids are going to go through yeah, that. Yeah, and okay. so I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't gone through that and you're building success, good for you. Like, that's incredible. And and I don't wish anything negative upon you. But if you have, I want you to have not the animosity and anger, but just the memory of what you went through to constantly keep you in momentum of every day I don't take action on this is a day closer to that. Yeah. And I'll be damned if I'm going to go back to that. Yeah. So. So now we're kind of on the other side of this. I mean, you know, we've, we've built, we've failed, we've gotten lots of success. I mean, you and your wife have a beautiful home, beautiful family. You've, you've got lots of, 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 you know, you're starting to really build that life that you can be obsessed about, not be talking to show, So I think one of the things is getting it, and another thing is keeping it. So touch on that for a minute as you're going into, okay, you, you're building in sustainability. Mm-hmm. How has your action or your disciplines, how have they shifted from in the grind to building to all of a sudden, now I need to keep what I've gotten and then grow from there. Yeah, well,
1: I think it's it, it stays as a mindset. Listen, when you get a big financial event, mm-hmm. um, and I talk about this, you if you were an asshole before money, you're an <laughs> asshole with money, right? Yeah. So I can't I can't change that. You you are who you are, right? Whoever yeah. that person is, what happens is is your lifestyle adjusts, mm-hmm. right? You get you go buy all the the tangible things that you believe, um help you arrive from success once right? yes. watches the cars to homes to vacation homes yeah. to all those things right so once you get that out of your system right you're still you right and then at that point in order to keep that you get those memories like you talked about yes. of you know wow I, you know i've arrived i never want to lose that mm. and, and i believe true entrepreneurs um it's it's always the money's all it's always about the money but it's not too right like to me it's the game oh yeah uh, i'm in it it's a sport what can i build next how can i impact people mm-hmm. how can i help benefit people um that, that work with me and work for me mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's a constant driver to do better mm-hmm. and i don't ever think there's a level of arriving because right. there's always a next level right right but and you mean, shift from that immediate income possibly to maybe the legacy of how you yeah exactly right i mean so you know I, I don't necessarily worry about bills, right? Which sure. is which is a, which is the great thing. Sure, you know now it's building, like you said, it's legacy and, and, and those other things, mm-hmm. and, and also it's uh. Listen, money is not the root of all evil. <laughs> right. It's a great thing, trust me. I've had you know I've not had money, and I've had money. I, I like it much better having money. Yeah, it also allows you to think, mm-hmm. right? It, you know the the tension of urgency. Yes. isn't as great, so. You have a little bit more time. You still need to be decisive. You still need to be fast, but you have time to really think through those next moves. Yes, you can be more thoughtful in your intentions. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not as urgent to generate revenue. Mm-hmm. You're you're so
0: it's a it's a really cool place. Well, it's that emotional freedom? And the example that I use is I picture you know life as essentially maybe we're holding a bed sheet. And we have different marbles on the bed sheet, right? And I think there are five areas. You've got your personal, your financial, your spiritual, your relational, and your professional. Right. Each one of those being a marble. But yes. well, we take one of those marbles and then we put one that's four times as heavy on the sheet. Yeah. Everything that's pulled towards it. Yeah. Money being one of the biggest versions of that where, sure. like you said, freedom. It's the mental freedom, the emotional freedom, the time to think, which is so important because if in the back of your mind, it's you've got that, all of a sudden, I'm not like, my wife isn't going to eat. Bills aren't going to be paid. like I don't know how I'm going to make it everything is going to be pulled towards that, totally. right? You wake up in the morning and you and your wife are like fighting, yeah, right? Yeah. Everything yeah. is going to be pulled towards that. Money being one of the biggest, because money being the tool for opportunity, one of the mm. biggest being the mental opportunity to think. So right. I love the fact that you touch on that, of that being an amplifier of who you are, yeah, because totally. there's a lot of ambiguity around that too. Like, oh, they became an asshole. No, they could just show that they were an asshole better yeah. now that they had a hundred million exactly. to be yeah. an asshole. Yeah. So, exactly. But, um, yeah. you know, I really enjoyed our time today. I think yeah. we touched on some amazing concepts, so, you know, I think for those of you listening, uh, the reason why we're here today and what we're getting into is Judge is going to be one of the keynote speakers at the Obsessed Conference, which is going to be in the Dallas area in Frisco on July 25th of 2019. So if you like what you've heard here, if you like the information, you love Judge, go to JudgeGraham.com, interact with his content, find him on social. He's available. He's got amazing books, amazing uh, content, always bringing value. But also, snag one of those VIP tickets. Get a chance to sit down with the judge in person. Tell him your story and have a real conversation with him. He's a great guy. I really can't wait to see you there. I know you're yeah, going to bring lots of
1: value. Yeah, I'm super excited. Man. Thanks for having me awesome, on. Awesome.
0: I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you so much.